0: Bagel Buds, podcast number 18, we have a very special guest, a close friend of ours, Chris Quinley, who is a certified financial planner. Chris, tell us
1: about yourself and what a CFP does and what does that mean? Well, thank you for having me, Mr. Trevor mm-hmm. and Mr. Jason. Thank so, you. It's such a pleasure <laughs> to have you both here. Um, yeah, basically, a financial planner uh, helps people get organized with their financial uh, goals and dreams helps them take an inventory of where they're at today and where they'd like to be in the future. Mm-hmm. So, and we do that a variety of ways. Okay, nice. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, this is about millennial wealth education, and we wanted to bring <laughs> you guys uh, another perspective. In a, a, you know, this is... Uh, at least for me personally, you know, this is what, what Trevor and I were discussing is the other side of the coin. Is we've, pr- we've preached and promoted our way of doing it. This is Chris Quinley's way of doing it. And he wants to share his inputs and probably yeah, sort of best practices. And so he's going to walk us through some of that.
0: Yeah, and I think there's also a lot of synergy between, I mean, we're all talking about building wealth and... You know, I think diversification is a is a huge you know point to to building the wealth, so you're a little more protected. So I think adding the whole you know stocks, equities, bonds, that sort of market, uh, those vehicles for investment into our podcast will just you know, hopefully add more knowledge and allow people to choose the, the option that suits them best.
2: And we call it a no no downside here. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. If you're if, like, you if you're a listener it, yeah. and you're you're doing this, you're you're on the right path. So you know <laughs> all we're doing is just laying out that map and we're just continuing to draw out all the different pathways and roads for you.
0: Yeah. So through episodes one through seventeen I think we're we're hot and heavy on real estate as the the vehicle for you know the foundation kind of for building wealth and using your home to either you know drop cash out invest in more mm-hmm. real estate so this is going to be more of a certified financial planner mindset to investing so uh chris tell us uh just first a little bit about yourself how you got into this field um and kind of how many years you've been doing it and all that jazz give us a little background
1: yeah so i went to san diego state university harvard of the west guess, oh, okay. better known running as back you as yeah money back running back you as well <laughs> And when I was in college, I was a finance major. Uh, It's just kind of what I picked at the time. And then uh, summer before senior year, I was was trying to basically decide, okay, what am I going to do after I graduate? So uh, I started looking at jobs. My buddy gave me this book called um, So You Want to Be a Financial Planner. And I hadn't really known anything about it before that. So I read the book and I thought it was kind of interesting. And then I talked to the professor who was in charge of the program. And he was one of the original CFPs from like the 1960s I think so he was he was kind of an old-timer but a really great guy so he right. kind of convinced me and told me thought I'd be a good match for the career. I later found out he told everyone that but, <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's okay I, I bought into it at the time so yeah. I changed my major to financial services and um, which was kind of tailored to education for financial planners. Mm-hmm. And then after graduating, uh, I got a job as an advisor and started building clients. But you've also,
2: you've gone on to get your master's degree as well? Is that yeah,
1: you know? so I just, I went back to San Diego State. Um, the same guy is still there. He's been trying to <laughs> retire for like 10 years, but they haven't found a replacement for him. Um, <laughs> so he convinced me to do the master's program, actually. He said I'd be a good fit for it. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay to- this guy, this guy some it's, or a, it's a little bit of both. You know, it, you got to be a good salesperson and be a people person yeah, in this career. Yeah. Um, so the master's was in financial and tax planning. I wanted a little bit more tax knowledge because tax is basically uh, yeah, a, huge component, yeah. a huge component of every investment, right? So, yeah. uh, so just recently finished that. So a certified financial planner. I uh, have a business partner named Michael Liang. Shout out. Yeah, shout out. What's up, Mike? And uh, we... Own a small firm in Irvine, so it's mm-hmm. he and I. We co-own it. We have three staff, and we manage about 150 million dollars in assets. Wow, couple dollars there. Yeah.
2: So, and obviously, you know, we do try and pick our guests with people who have achieved a level of success, people who are on this path. They're they're doing the right things, um, and they can they can provide their insights, and so that we can make this path as straight as possible for our listeners. That's the goal here. So, I mean, we're bringing in somebody, the business owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, wealth of a wealth of knowledge in the financial fields, right? Bachelor's degree, master's degree, over 150 million dollars in assets under management. Uh, that's that's a lot for you guys. So, um, you know, we're we're excited to find out what Chris believes as the foundation. What do we need to do here in order to get this ball rolling for you?
0: Mm-hmm. So, in short, 150 million means He manages a bunch of rich dude's money. Yeah. <laughs> and he tells and them if them. they
2: listen to him, then maybe you should. Yeah, maybe. You know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. So I love what you said. You said you, you like to basically sit down with a client yeah. and you get organized. Tell us like the, the very beginning of your career when you're first joining this basic firm and you're having to make cold calls trying to get some clients and stuff. What's that yeah. like? You know, because so, you, know, you don't have any experience at this point. I mean, you basically have a degree and we all know what a degree is worth these days as far as practical knowledge is, is considered. So mm-hmm. you have this degree, you're making calls and you're pitching Chris Quinley that you can help these people manage their money. And Tell us just like that planning phase. Like you get some guy and he says, oh yeah, I'm interested, man. I like your personality on the phone. Let's right. sit and meet and let's talk about it. Like this, this I, I am a client, so I kind of know the process, but explain mm-hmm. to the listeners here what your process is like when you first get someone to sit down and explain what they, you know, ask, ask the questions you would normally ask to, yeah. to set them up.
1: Sure. So yeah, when someone first comes in, most of the time they bring in a handful of statements from various companies so they may have bank accounts or old 401ks or iras and things like that but it it tends most of them don't know what they have so they don't have an inventory of where am i at today they just they just know they have money and it's kind of scattered around so helping them get organized get it in one place i think is a common um benefit to working with someone And then understanding how the investments are allocated and how much risk that they're actually taking so i think the average american when it comes to stocks and bonds and mutual funds they don't really a lot of people don't like it a lot of people don't really want to spend the time on it and i think that's why there's financial advisors is because uh, you know they just want to offload it they just want to go to work and spend time with their families and want to build wealth but they don't want to necessarily learn how all these different types of mutual funds work and what the underlying strategies of them are. They want someone else to kind of know that and, and handle that for them. Um, that makes a lot of sense. What about yeah. someone
0: starting out that doesn't have all these <laughs> statements? They, they're literally starting at zero, zero, yeah. but they have some goals. Yeah. Uh, and they want to come in and sit down with you. And... To-
1: totally fine. So a lot of our clients are kind of in that pre-retired, retired range, but we are building a lot more millennials and we're actually working with the client's kids a lot of times. <laughs> and, uh, Being ambitious, having goals, what's great about the millennials today is a lot of this financial planning knowledge is more readily available Mm -hmm. than it was 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of younger clients that are getting started at a much earlier age than, say, baby boomers did when it comes to retirement planning or college planning for their kids, um, buying houses and whatnot. So. The process isn't really that much different. It's still taking an inventory. Even if you're a millennial and you don't have a lot, you're still going to have bank accounts and maybe just start a 401k or something like that. Um, but you always want to start with an inventory. Where am I today? And then really develop your goals. Um, whether that's for millennials, it's mostly about uh, purchasing a home or it could be a rental property. Um, a lot of times if they have kids, college planning. So, just last week, we met with some millennial clients and they have uh, kind of young children. So, we were doing college plan forecasts and what that looks like and, um, you know, the inflation rate on tuition is much higher than just regular inflation. And wages and everything, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah so, it's been exponential. Yeah. So, college, just think about college, you know, when you went to college. Um, when I went, San Diego State tuition was $888, 888, for the whole semester. And now I think it's like seven or eight thousand dollars, right? So the inflation rate for college is much higher. Um, So you got to really save a lot of money. Um, And a lot of millennials, um, some people want to pay for 100% of their kid's school, but a lot of them don't. They just want a portion of it. Kind of depends. What I found is uh, our own experience. If if our parents paid for 100% of our college, generally that we right. want to do the same. Right. Um, and those that had loans, they want their kids to have well, loans. And, and feel that <laughs> kind of pressure. Right. <laughs> so um, yep. it just depends on someone's background and um, kind of their personal beliefs and what their goals are. But it's really, for millennials, back to your question, it's about goal um, development and really defining what your goals are. And then creating a plan to help get there. So do you have a blueprint? You, I, I think you mentioned there's a couple things that people
2: can do, um, that, uh, that really set you up for success. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what,
1: what would those items be? I do have a blueprint. Thank you, did, you for yeah, asking. Yeah, right, so we have kind of five steps, to take, um, you know, when you're defining or wanting to build wealth, and these are very simple steps. These are not, uh, overly complex or. Uh, you know, earth-shattering, you know, new stuff. But sometimes the most simple thing can be the most powerful when things kind of maybe aren't going great in the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, one other comment I'd like to make is the economy has been really good for a long time. Longest bull run ever. Yes. They're, they're... And what I've noticed when working with clients is they're, people are forgetting, you know, what happened in 08 mm-hmm. in the big crash. And they're for, they're, basically, appetite for risk has been going up a lot. And I think um, having gone through 2008 and seeing what that did, um, I think it is good time to at least just take a sanity check and say, okay, when the next recession does happen, because it's not a matter of if, it's it's when, right? right. It's the economic cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, are you prepared to weather that and make sure that you can ride it out, you know, the best way for you and your family? Yep. So I think... I think it's a good time to do something like that um, because it has been good for so long, right? And it won't always be, right? Is that a
2: phone call to you? Is that a phone call? What you know? How, what is the process for them to say somebody who's already in property ownership, somebody who has some stocks, you know, bonds, mutual funds, four hundred one k. Yeah. You
1: know, it's it's okay. Where am I? Yeah. Phone call. Yeah. Review, phone, yeah. Portfolio, yeah, phone, review, yeah, portfolio review. Yeah. Portfolio review. Yeah. You know, having a, a meeting and discussing these things is we do quarterly reviews for clients and Mm -hmm. um, it's just constantly reviewing the risk and the, you know, where they're at and just making sure they understand uh, kind of the risk that that you're taking, Mm -hmm. right? Because with any investment, it's risk and return. You know, everyone wants to make a healthy return, wants to make money, but the only way to really do that is with risk. Yeah. So, and the alternative um, is lose money. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if they're high risk, then you basically direct them the Fannie, or what do you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew I was. What's the times? Because I had an over under on when when you would bring fanny yeah. up. Right? I think we're at the under. No.
0: What is what is a simple strategy? Because I mean, obviously you're evaluating risk. They have they have equities, right? So you're basically just trying to make it so that they're more diversified in that risk, so that you know when the downturn does come, they don't just get hit with one wallop of one stock, and they're highly. You know, is that the typical strategy, or do you actually pull them out and you pull them into like. You know, savings or bond. What what is your normal? I know there's a variety of sure, strategies, sure. but what's a what's a typical one like in this this type of market? So
1: if if we're talking about like a millennial, someone who's young, and we're talking about four hundred one k or long term money, you don't really need to worry much about it at all. If anything, you're almost rooting for a downturn because then you're buying shares at cheaper prices sure. and you're accumulating. So
2: downturn. Right. Downtown. Exactly.
1: <laughs> And there's a lot of millennials waiting for a housing downturn so they can buy their first property as well, right? right. So, um, so for millennials, long-term money, I don't worry about it so much. Retirees is more where I worry about it in terms of taking risk. Um, And, um, but it's not really. You don't want to kind of pull out of the markets. You want to you want to stay diversified. You want to stay long-term. But for for real estate or for if you're building wealth and let's say you're accumulating rental properties. Um, it's more a question of well what if the downturn happens and the tenant can't pay? Or what if your own job, you lose a job and you're out of work for say a few months? Or uh, you know it's, it's not to be a negative you know negative Nancy here or a downer, but it's part of my frame of mind or as a financial planner is, is helping plan for if something goes wrong, not having to totally throw out your goals, or <clears throat> not having to crater the wealth that you that you've built. Because I've seen it happen. I saw it happen in 2008 with, with a lot of people who either had rental properties or had things and they were just either over leveraged or just spread too thin and didn't have that, that solid foundation built. And it can, um, it can really crater, you know, the, the plans that you have long term if those aren't set up. Okay. So that, that's kind of the perspective I'm
0: coming from. So bring us into the rest of the strategy then, when I mean, someone's trying to build up and they're either new or or already in the in the game, give us some. Uh, yeah,
1: so if you're if you're young, you want to build wealth, that's fantastic. Here's here are some basic steps I would take before sort of going out and, and buying a bunch of real estate or or investing in a bunch of stocks, right? So the first would be an adequate cash reserve. So a very simple, basic, um, three to six months of expenses in a uh, liquid. Um, Liquidity, by the way, is just basically how quickly can you get it to cash, right? So something very liquid, it could be um, checking savings or money market, maybe some short-term laddered CDs to earn, you know, interest rates are so low still, it doesn't really uh, matter that much to do that, but just something where you liquid. Now, if you have a job, uh, like I was talking to someone recently, they're in commercial real estate and make a ton of money now, but their job is very, um. Cyclical, cyclical and, you know, you could make a ton of money one year and make almost none the next year. So mm-hmm. for someone like that, we, we actually have a 12-month uh, cash reserve for him. So, but generally, rule of thumb is three to six months of expenses, kind of at all times um, yep. into, into that. So a quick stat. So the average uh, millennial, so someone under the age of 34, um, has $4,727 in their savings account currently. Which isn't that bad, but it's not enough, obviously. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, r- that's three to
0: six months of ramen. Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Living on yeah, the parents I mean, that might be
0: three
2: months of uh, rent in Oklahoma, or right. yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, I, but you know, having that—that's the first step. Yeah. In any in any sound financial plan, uh, step two would be paying off debt. So, by the way, quick a quick tangent: Did you know that in the world right now? There are fifteen trillion dollars in negative interest rate debt. Is that uh, governmental Go- debt? Is that why? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. yeah. Fifteen trillion yeah. in in investments that are guaranteed negative to rise. lose money. Yeah, isn't Absolutely. that crazy? Yeah. Well, what
0: does that mean? What kind of vehicles are we talking about here? That that's it's like,
1: like it's just like debt. So um, yeah. yeah, it could be government mm-hmm. um, debt. Let's imagine like government U.S. Imagine it's, U.S. It's, treasuries so, yeah, instead yeah. of paying two mm-hmm. percent, they're paying negative two percent. So. yeah who puts their money that's in? the majority of
2: the world actually right. yes yeah. the majority it's of the world governments are negative and the reason being is their outlook is is you're gonna lose money in the next ten years, and so we're gonna help you lose less money. Yeah, that's a, that's the stats that because they have unfunded liabilities because of pensions. We could get way into that, but that's yeah. a, that's, that's a, a tangent. I just yeah, thought when tangent, yeah. I was looking up some yeah. stats, yeah. I was just was,
1: my mind was yeah. uh, kind of. Just yeah. okay
2: it's that. hard to make money right now. It's hard to make a return on your money,
1: and right. so now we're trying to find vehicles to do to so. to do so. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, sorry, step two is pay off the debt. So, the average uh, student loan debt right now of a student graduating Mm -hmm. is just over $31,000. Holy and student loans have hit over a trillion dollars in the United States total.
2: Can, can we pause there for just one second? Sure. We, we just said you're graduating with 31000 and your average is 4000 in savings. Yes. So you're, you're, you're negative. You're negative 27000 in net worth at the time of graduation if you're a millennial. Yeah. So that, this is why we started the podcast is because these dynamics have never existed before. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to correct and give people the faculties to make this and overcome this. Yeah, yeah. Give them the education. Give them the the knowledge and the purpose uh and hopefully the motivation
1: absolutely now i've listened to someone called dave ramsey Mm -hmm. dave ramsey's kind of like um you know a financial advisor for the masses kind of like suzy orman
0: we promoted him on the the oh yeah Yeah. okay he's a no debt guy guy. he's he's a no debt guy no matter what right
1: which i'm i'm not that right yeah 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 and i'm I think I'm somewhere in the middle of, of, you know, some debt is okay, right? Certainly mortgages and things like that, of course, make a lot of sense. I want max mortgages. I want,
2: if we're talking 3% interest rates or less, give me all the the money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Debt is certainly cheap, and it's never really been this cheap. It's never been this cheap. It's free money right now. Relative (laughs) to
2: inflation, they are giving you free million (laughs) dollars.
1: Right. And I think the Ramsey and Ramsey is anti-debt. Doesn't even have a credit card, and he's also yeah. very big on like stu- getting your student loan debt paid off, right? Right. And, like do that as quickly mm-hmm. as you can. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit influenced by him in doing that, and the whole point of it is to free up your cash flow. Yep. It's a, it's to not be in a situation where an emergency ruins you. Yeah. Well, it's like there's a lot of people who, before they even get their paycheck, the money is spent because yeah, right, of yeah. either rent or cars or student loans it's like the the committed expenses are already oh, yeah. at a point where the as soon as i get that paycheck it's already gone right so I think his point, or his point of view, is really to try to stop that and and get the debts paid off, so you can you can actually keep and save your money, right. and then go off and do the the rentals and stuff like that afterwards. So no so, credit
0: card? Is that what he's preaching? He, yeah, he yeah, says cut them up. He, he, I think I about, a, okay. I think about all the points he's missing out on. Well, that's, for, so, think, that's so. that's what people. Credit, I think the credit too. Mark. But but people say it it, it is
2: most people aren't disciplined enough to where the points make a difference. Yeah, oh, right. so I know
0: some points wizards out there. Let me tell are you. crushing Yeah, I, I learned the balance transfer Especially game a business. long time ago. Yeah. Especially <laughs> if you're a business and you're not utilizing... No question, time. man. You're spending 10, 20 grand on a card every every month on your business. You gotta be able to...
1: Dude,
0: I'm crushing this Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's more like the personal – I get it because, yeah. I mean, he's probably preaching to
0: the people that are in debt and they're just you know yep. so overwhelmed with it that he's like, cut them off. That makes sense. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. to the average guy that yeah. has his shit together, right, that yeah. he's paying his bills and
2: This has is the alcoholic and, and, you know, and the
1: beer sitting in yeah. front of him. It's <laughs> just don't go into the bar is what he's saying. <laughs> All right. right. I do Yeah, so paying off the debt. Um, I'm okay, obviously, with some kinds of debt, but I am definitely more on the side of if you could pay it off um, and get that – monthly payment out of there the sooner the better because then you can save and do the other stuff. Okay. Number three is adequate insurance. So life and health insurance. So this is particularly important if you have a mortgage or if you have kids, uh, anyone that relies on your income. It's it's all about replacing the lost income. So if you work and you make $100,000 a year and you're going to work, um, you know, over the next, say, 30 years, if you were to pass away and your spouse is left without that income, well, that money's now effectively not in the family. So it's, it's all about replacing the lost income. And um, recommended amounts for that kind of depend on, you know, they have different uh, human life values and whatnot. I'm kind of just more on the insure at least to the liabilities. So if you have a mortgage of say 500,000, well you should have life insurance of at least that. Right. So um, as kind of a minimum standard. And then if you want to insure a little bit more for the loss of income, I think that makes sense as well. Um, it's good recommendation. Yeah. So, um, step four is starting a 401k plan. So this is, I think highly important if your employer has a match. Mm -hmm. So if your employer has a match, that's a hundred percent return on your money. Day one, you can't really find other investments that can do that. I don't think so. I think if you, if you have that, you got to at least take advantage up to the point where they match. Um, I've I, I found that we we've had guests on here even that have had the employer
2: match, but then they also have student loans, and they I find they they're still contributing extra money to the 401 k
1: instead of attacking the student loans. Do you have a do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, so I would if I was that person I would only put up to the point where they stopped matching. Mm-hmm. So if they match dollar for dollar up to three percent, for mm-hmm. example, I would do the three percent, and then that would be it. And then the rest of the money I would throw at the debt okay. to try to pay that down. And once that was paid off, then I could go to the 401k or go to buying rentals or duplexes or whatnot to build wealth after that. But, but it also depends, too, on the, the student loan
0: interest. <laughs> it could be a 0% interest loan and then yeah, yeah. just tagging off. That's
2: Corey. Corey has one student loan left, but it's 0%. So we're like, what's the point? Right. Yeah, let's right. just ride that ride that right. out. Uh, okay. We, we didn't say we were going to talk about this, but I'm going to ask. What is your opinion on people tapping the
1: 401k for a down payment? I get that all the time. As far as taking a 401k loan or a full-on withdrawal? Why don't you tell us what the difference is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a 401k <laughs> loan is you're basically just temporarily taking out your own money. It's a loan to yourself. Okay. And then you go and buy a, you buy a house. And then your contributions, your new money mm-hmm. goes towards paying off the loan. Got it. Okay. Is there interest? or There is, but you're essentially paying yourself the interest. It's not to a third-party bank, it's to yourself. Yeah. Okay. So that's not a bad thing. Is there option. penalties when you take the money? No. Not if, Not if you pay it back, number one. And number two, the the potential problem is if you change jobs. So like, let's say you got laid off or you, you got a different job. Um, I believe once that happens, then it's considered a distribution, and then there's taxes and penalties on what you took out. So you have to be a little bit careful with it but you know time
0: frame you have to pay it back before
1: they uh there is I think it depends on the employer and how they write up uh cuz not every 401k has a loan provision mm-hmm. so the company the, the company you work at has to put that in the plan when they design it um and I th- I think there's a payback schedule I don't know if it needs to be in a certain amount of years I could look that up and follow up with you but um if the the big risk though is if you just change jobs or if you don't pay it back then it it, it. It's, an, it's mm-hmm. essentially considered a distribution at that point.
2: Got it. Um, so only take as much as you feel confident that you can put back into
0: it within a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. I mean, also with the whole you know, career change thing in mind, that if you're you know, thinking yeah. that your job is very secure, then probably it's yeah. not that, that bad of an idea. But That's if good you point. feel like you might move or yeah. you might get laid off, then you
2: probably... I bring it up because that, I mean, we, we just said there's only 4,000 in savings yeah. accounts, right, for millennials. And yeah. so the biggest question I get is, should I use that? Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 that's not for me to say is the truth, right? Uh, if you feel comfortable with the the risk associated with it, then you know I, I'm not going to say no to you. Um, you know, but the my the appropriate answer is go see your certified financial planner, <laughs>
1: and he will he will give you an answer for I, it. Yeah, yeah, I think it, in financial planning world, the answer would be no. You don't you don't touch it. You let the four one k go for long term, mm-hmm. and then you you kind of do these simple steps and you wait until you uh have. Cash reserves, and then you have the money saved for the down payment. Perfect. That that's the answer that people need. Right. Um, that's the answer people yeah. don't, to, yeah. Yeah. don't want to hear is you have to wait. Yeah. That either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um. So separate question here. Um. Because it's a loan, are are is your still the full balance of the 401k vested? It, right, because so like so let's use fifty thousand in a four hundred and one k, and you're taking a twenty five thousand dollar loan against it. Mm-hmm. Are you still yielding earnings based off of fifty thousand vested in bonds, or is you are you now only vested at twenty five thousand?
1: Yeah so, yeah. yeah. so, um, my understanding is it, it's a loan. It's mm-hmm. not a, it's not a withdrawal. So the, I think the money is still quote unquote there, but you're, you're just going back to repaying the loan. with the So money. if it spikes yeah. up, you actually could technically kind of pay for your loan. It could be leveraged. It's, it, 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 it's, it, it, it's kind of like, yeah, it's like yeah. another form of leverage, but, uh-huh. um, and also on the 401k loans, there's only a certain amount you could do, right? If you have 300 grand and a 401k, you can't take out like 200 grand. Like there's loan provisions mm-hmm. in the uh, the in the, yeah there's okay. a maximum amount so it's it's again just for my edification what is the
0: like early withdrawal on that what's the penal, penalty or the what you said the, yeah. the distribution what, is, what do you get taxed at what so
1: that? you're taxed at your income rate so whatever your uh, ordinary, income, ordinary income, rate. income rate is and then you there's a 10% penalty uh, for early 401k or IRA, you know, withdrawals. Plus commissions or whatever to, to liquidate. Is that, I mean, are, are there fees for um, trading now? Usually there might be yeah. some of bucks. nominal, yeah. like an account closure fee if you're talking about like an IRA or something like that. But Got generally it. from the 401ks, they're pretty minimal when it comes to that.
0: Yep. So 10% is what you're looking at as the penalty. Because I mean, income rate, it just means if you if you had some some gains, you're going to be taxed just on the
1: gains. You don't get taxed mm-hmm. on the Uh, No, you get taxed on your own, Contribution as well, yeah. okay. Yeah. So it's like... Because it's pre-tax. It's, pre-tax it's tax. like in California, you're almost you're getting like 50 to 60 cents on the dollar. You know, you're taking on a dollar of your money and then you're getting like 50 cents okay. in your account to go to mm-hmm. with. So it doesn't... So the idea of closing not very, a 401k to go buy something is a horrible, horrible idea. Horrible idea, right? You're yeah. taking a yeah. huge cut right off the bat. So it's like the 401k money, ideally, again, back to kind of financial planner world, ideal... Foundational stuff. Yeah, thing. is like whatever you're putting aside for 401k, you got to have the mindset that that's long-term money to start with, right? That's 30 year money. If you want to buy a house, that's part of your goal. That's great. But don't put the money that you want to buy a house with in the 401k, you know, Mm -hmm. put it in something liquid. And, um, I understand, especially in Orange County where home prices are so high, why people would look at a 401k and use it. And a lot of people end up doing that in in reality. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know the numbers are just so much better if you just enroll in a 401k take advantage of a match and leave it alone for 30 years right that's another wealth building technique and the and the people i see that are in their 60s a lot of the clients we have that's basically what they did is they they just enrolled in their 401 and their company had a match and then you know 30 years went by and Magic. all of a sudden <laughs> they have a couple million dollars in it yeah. um, so that i think is is not a bad way to uh, to build it as a complementary piece to the real estate
0: yeah all right so let's go so we got build cash re- reserves three to six months we got pay off your debt as two adequate life insurance and health insurance is three and then four start a 401k what else do you have
1: well the last one is those things basically set you up for a uh, number five which is adequate monthly cash flow slash discretionary income so that and this is ramsey's whole point about not having debt is is to just to get those committed expenses um really really low so you have the cash flow to save and then to go out and buy the properties and whatnot so mm-hmm. having just proper discretionary income and not spending um kind of what you're making and living paycheck to paycheck yeah so those are your basic financial planning fundamental uh, foundations
0: that's awesome and what? we we go back even the last pod with chris weiler the, the guy preached really just living within your means and i think mm-hmm. it, it's sort of all fun, but that's the foundation really to the whole equation of building wealth is that you can't spend more than you make and you can't really spend exactly what you make either you have to That's spend right. less than right. what you make otherwise yep. Yep. you really don't have a shot in hell and,
1: mm-hmm. yeah and again if you spending what you make is not is a when times are great like they are now um, a lot of people are making more money than they've ever made um, fast forward three years you know i mean let's say there's a recession and you have to take a pay cut temporarily well that, that equation is not going to pencil if you have all these committed expenses going out the window mm-hmm. right so Giving yourself a a cushion just really helps you weather the storm down the road when the recession happens. I
2: think we've given a couple benchmarks as far as what your house payment should be relative to your income, what your car payment should be relative to your income. I mean, that stuff is, uh, you know, that's the budgetary considerations to make there. You know, if you... You know, I, I tell people this a lot, but with respects to getting their mortgage, what the bank will give you and what you should have <laughs> right. are different. Right. Um, you know, j- just because the bank will give you 45% of your gross income right. doesn't mean you can have any lifestyle by doing that. Right. Uh, you, know, you need to scale that
1: appropriately. So uh, I would agree with that for sure.
0: All right, and so we love the five steps. Uh, before the pod, we mentioned that you you had some good strategies on, you know, because this is a heavy real estate podcast and, and millennial wealth education podcast based on, you know, buying real estate. How would you actually hold the real estate if you if, if these guys actually good are question. purchasing yeah. real estate? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what kind of view? How do you, I guess, incorporate it? What's what were your strategies there to like limit the tax liability on? Yeah,
1: so it's so that's a good question. So if you if you Trevor are going to go buy a rental property. Who should hold? Who should be the owner? Should it be you and your spouse? Should it be a trust, or should it be something else? So, um, obviously, you have to talk to, you know, your tax person, disclosure there. Talk to, a, you know, a lawyer, whatnot. But generally speaking, an LLC is kind of tailor-made for real estate. Um, LLCs have uh, a few benefits. Number one is asset protection. So if you have a tenant in there and they slip and fall or something like that, in addition to insurance policies and stuff, um, LLC, you know, helps protect you there. Um, Number two is taxes. So LLCs do not have double taxation. So uh, it basically just becomes a pass-through to the uh, individual. So it just flows through your own individual return. It's hugely important, guys. Yeah, yeah. and then number three is, uh, it's not public information, so uh, there's a little bit of, um, I guess debt problem. collection or
2: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. it's yeah. kind of like a separate person owning the the property. So, um, it's something to consider if you're a real estate investor and you're buying, you know, rental properties. Is is having a separate LLC to hold that. I, I get asked this
2: question a lot which is should I have every property in an in a separate, separate? LLC? And
1: I go ahead I'll let you answer it you. Yeah. Um I mean I I would think it, it you know okay the downside to LLCs is what? It's cost expense. It right. Yeah. right. Yeah. So depending on the property and how much assets you have it it might make sense to have multiple LLCs if you're mm-hmm. building wealth and you know you have a lot to lose quote unquote. but right. Um if you're just buying your second one and there's not much equity. There's not much to protect. I would think one would probably be okay. Be sufficient. Sure. Yeah. But so it's a scale question. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, Scale and risk probably. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, how you take ownership and then the taxation of, you know, the rental. Do you thing. have
2: anything on trusts uh, as far as,
1: um, you know, trust holdings? <clears throat> yeah, I think so. If, okay, if you have a will and trust um, and you own real estate... The, at least your primary residence um, that really should be in the trust
2: mm-hmm.
1: the benefit of that is it avoids probate if something were to happen to you and your your spouse if you're married right so probate's expensive yeah, so if you die and you have no will or trust and you own a house, then it's going to go through probate, which is the court process of determining who's next in line. You, know, you have court fees, next you have attorney's in line. fees, it's, it's expensive. Yeah, and it could be, depending on the estate, it, it could be lengthy as well. So mm-hmm. True. Um, the trust helps avoid that. So you want, And that's a common thing I see is people, a lot of people get a trust, but they don't fund it. Yeah, they don't put the assets into it. Yes, so mm-hmm. think of the trust almost like, kind of like a cup. Right. Mm-hmm. So a trust is a separate entity mm-hmm. and you have to put your things into the into the cup or into the entity. So mm-hmm. you're checking savings accounts, your real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't put retirement accounts in it. You want to keep those ownerships in, um, in those in individual names. But mm-hmm. um, any what we call non-qualified or non-retirement assets should really be owned you know, by the trust.
0: Is there a fee? I mean, I'm sorry to set it up with an attorney, but is it like an LLC where you pay an $800 a year
1: type to the state? For the trust? Yeah. Um, no, so you go to a state attorney. They set up the will and trust for you. They'll, they'll, the attorney, obviously, will charge a fee. Um. Most of the good ones will help you even fund it. Like the one we use, Uh, she helps the clients put the house and the trust and change the...
0: Does all the documents with mm-hmm. the court. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah, and, uh, but there's not like an $800 a year kind of ongoing fee for the trust like the LLC. Okay. So we'll have to
2: we'll, we'll we'll have to do an estate attorney where we can dive into the difference between living trust, you know,
0: irrevocable. <clears> and, uh you know, there's a lot of different ways we can go with that. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, good stuff. So if you buy a house or a rental property, it sounds like LLC is the way to go, but if you own your own house, then it sounds like just a trust for your spouse or your family to avoid any probate court uh, fees and stuff like that.
2: Yep. There's also after, you know, after the person passes away, if the property is in a trust, you know, you get a step up in basis on your taxes. So that's also good.
1: That's a huge advantage to real estate. Mm-hmm. So one thing I've seen, this does apply to millennials in um, either parents aging and you inherit yeah. right, property. So a quick comment on that. So let's say your parents bought a house for $100,000, which... Yeah, right. It's true. It's definitely yeah, it, true. It's You'd, true in the, if they bought in
2: the '70s or '80s. Right. Yeah.
1: And let's say that house is now worth a million dollars. Okay. The nine hundred thousand dollar gain, as long as the parents still own that, and when they pass away, and that property goes to the kids, they get a step up in basis, just like you're saying, meaning it's as if the kids had paid a million dollars for the house so if they sell it the next day for a million dollars they pay no taxes huge so that's a big advantage stocks have that as well by the way so if they bought apple stock you know for 100 grand and went to a million um and they pass away the million goes uh tax-free only if it's in a trust um no no so it's it's all step up it doesn't matter if it's in a trust or not um the but it but you, it's worth knowing because you don't want to lose that so it's it's the, those things are actually worth keeping if the person's aging you know if the parents are aging and they're getting mm-hmm. older
0: because if you just transfer the asset over if you
1: were them. to sell it while they were alive then they aren't, they're gonna have to pay capital gains taxes on it yep. um so you're out you're really better off just holding any highly appreciated assets like yep. stocks or, or like real estate in that in that situation yeah so- and you got to talk to a tax person, of course. Yeah. <laughs> excellent, Excellent. Excellent. Cover, cover your bases here.
0: All right, so let's get to the final, uh, the conclusion of today's pause. I think you had the three Ds and then the importance of uh, importance of time. So let's get to the three Ds. What do you uh, what do you recommend here when you come yeah, to that? Yeah. So
1: so quickly, anytime you're investing, this pertains more to like the stock world, but I think it applies to real estate too. Is uh, the three Ds are diversification, dividends, and discipline. So diversification, I think, is very important. I think stocks, bonds, and real estate actually all complement each other very well um, in terms of liquid, liquid versus non-liquid, dividends, you know, rental income, et cetera, tangible property versus you know, uh, ownership Securities, publicly yeah. traded yeah. company. Mm-hmm. So um, being diversified, I think, is a great you know, first step with investments. Um, dividends is really just, you know, when you own a stock and they pay a dividend, it's really just all about cash flow positive cash flow coming in so same thing with rentals Mm -hmm. you know it's all about positive cash flow coming in yeah dividends are wonderful dividends coming from stocks and bonds and then discipline for some reason uh i think people are pretty disciplined with real estate if the real estate market goes down people aren't panicking like oh my gosh my rental went from 400 grand to 370 grand should i bail yeah but with because stocks, because they not a ten percent yeah price correction. Yeah, yeah with yeah. stocks they do panic. Yeah. If their four hundred thousand dollar portfolio goes to three seventy, it's oh my gosh, I lost thirty grand. But mm-hmm. um, I if, think it has to do with the barriers of
0: entry though, because it's so, it's it's one of those things where it's like. If I want to invest in stocks, I could just open up an account real quick, drop some money, and boom, 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 make a couple clicks, and now I'm in there. If I want to sell, same kind of thing, click, click, click. If I want to buy a house, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big old, you know, even investment property. Even if you have the cash yeah. for it, there's all these docs. The reset you gotta, is oh, yeah, there's all these docs you gotta great, sign. Yeah. Like you said, you have this physical property. Yeah. You maybe have some yeah. people living in it. There's so many different. The types. cost
2: of sales in the real estate game is actually prohibitive for most people, which is one of the reasons why they don't do it, because that is compounds their loss. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, so yeah, that. Yeah. It'd be crazy if stocks were like this, like physical house thing that like you can go into and like, oh, I'll take one of those I'll take and pull it out of that. If you know? could actually go to Google and say, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get a little fraction of it. Yeah,
2: exactly. yeah. Yeah. I'm going to buy these paper cups. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, that and that's, again, so yeah, you're talking about really liquidity. It's easy to get in and easy to get out of <laughs> rough stocks, right? So, Easier. Right, easier than real estate, and that's the, that's why I think they're good complements to real estate. Is real estate is not liquid, right? Yeah. If you do want to sell it and get your money out of it, it's a longer, more costly process. So if you need to get to money, uh, stocks and bonds are liquid. So again, that's why I think they're good complement to yeah. the real estate. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay.
0: Real estate is one of those things when things are, you know, shit's hitting the fan and everyone's panicking. You're kind of screwing. I mean, there's nothing really you can do yeah. at that point. I mean, you just t- cut your losses and sell, or you try to hunker down, weather the storm, and hopefully this thing rebounds. I mean, there's not really a quick, panic, panicky
1: move that you can, I feel like you can do yeah. in those right. things. Right. It, you it, take a huge which, loss. Right. Well, well, which, which, which helps yeah, people. Right, but if, yeah. if you don't sell it, yeah, yeah. And it takes the emotion out of it for us. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's a built-in discipline with real estate, which is I think a, a, a big benefit to it. Yeah, we call it forced savings. It's, yeah. it's forced savings because you 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 know you're gonna have a hard time doing anything with. You have it to pay it. the mortgage, which you're building equity. Yes. Yeah, and, yeah.
2: And, and and the truth is, is the the way to manage that risk is by it's called dscr debt service coverage ratio if the rental income is covering all of your debt and expenses on that property then you can typically weather the storm mm-hmm. if you're negatively or if you're inverted on that where it's not um, you know we say negative cash flow um, but it's more than negative cash flow because there's other expenses that you have to come up with mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah that's how you manage that in, t- in, in good times and in bad um, because there's some people who will leverage to the extent where they have an interest only loan and then they're not covering any principal payments that's how things went backwards in 2008 mm-hmm. is we got so far away away from the debt service coverage ratio Mm -hmm. that it it caused a collapse in the recession. Um, And now you gotta stick to the fundamentals, which uh, as Chris said before we started recording, you gotta pour concrete. (laughs) It's not exciting, but when you pour the concrete right, the rest of the house can be built.
1: Right. Then you could do the fun stuff after that, but you got to lay the solid foundation first. That's right. Yeah. There are some
0: vehicles though, right? With with wealth advisory that you can. I mean, you can do like long term CDs or something where it's kind of for savings, right? You can't really pull out your.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There. There are certain. Uh... Investment vehicles that are not liquid. So yeah, long term CD or bond, individual bond or like an annuity, something that has some kind of penalty for getting out. Mm-hmm. Um, so have you ever recommended to someone who you feel like
0: a client doesn't have discipline and panic? Like you're like, hey, you're right. need it. you. I, I, I <laughs> call me <laughs> every time there's five hundred down the Dow. You need to stick your money over here, dude. You it's
1: funny. There there is a usual list of um people that call when the when the market does yeah. good. And there, the it, usual it's, in order yes. and at every time it's you get the recording thing like do not panic this is a normal correction <laughs> single <laughs> um, file walk yeah. to the exit. <laughs> there was there was a, there was someone who um, you know there's either in married what I've found is husband wives there's usually there's spenders and there's savers right. And it works great if you have one of each or if you have two savers. But sometimes you get two spenders. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I have a client that's two spenders, and they know it, and he literally asked me for something like that. Like, is there any way I can just lock up my money so I can't touch it because I'm spending too much of it? Um, Which financial planners don't... Acknowledgement is the first step. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) Financial planners don't want to lock up someone's money because, you know, you want to keep it liquid in case there is an emergency, right? But... um, yeah, if you got two spenders, that that's uh, that's a problem.
2: That's a good self-diagnosis though for yeah. our listeners:
1: is what are you? Are, are you, a save are you a save two savers,
2: spenders, save. or a or combination saver. of both? Yeah. yeah.
0: Is there any kind of personality test you can take on that? Is there like a what would you do in this scenario? You have a hundred dollars in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> would you is there a, Would you go out to a nice dinner, or would there, you put it in your yeah. savings account? Right? Is there a spender uh, or a saver test? Or are you guys? Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure there is.
1: Um, you guys should come up with this. This is yeah. that that has Facebook ad written yeah. all over it. Yeah. But I I mean, and even like, again, a little bit of perspective I could provide is so if you're a millennial and you're like, let's say you're you're in your 20s and you want to build wealth. Well, I've seen I see people in their 50s and 60s every day and I see the ones that are struggling that are not on track for retirement. And I see the ones that are and a very basic is just uh what puts you on the right path or not is this saver or spender mentality. If you're if you're married or even if you're single, if you if you're all about spending and you never do these things of either buying real estate or these forced savings, you won't have any money in your forties and fifties. Doesn't matter what your income is. Yeah. There's right. people in Orange County make five hundred grand a year that have no money. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And it's because they spend. So they got the Maz. They got the, the Maz. The people in their 50s and 60s that have enough to retire with several million put away, they're savers and they're not um, overly, you know, sort of consumed by this but lifestyle. From,
0: from what you've seen, do they live life to its fullest? I want to live <laughs>
1: life. <laughs> Some Do they of them, have
0: any regrets? Do they go back and like... Yeah. Part of
1: it could be... Some, a lot of them are baby boomers, and some of them, their parents, their, their parents went through a Great Depression, and they, they saw things that we've never seen, right? Um, they, and they, I think there is, there is... Depression. There yeah. is some... That is a valid point. There is some where they won't spend. There are some that have millions of dollars... <laughs> <laughs> there are some that have millions of dollars saved away, and they won't gotcha. like take a... Great vacation. You know, for yeah, like, yeah. and it's like they just want. It. It's just the way. It's just the things that it's they saw. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, growing up. Um, there should be like a happiness chart with the savings yeah. chart. <laughs> like, hey, like, yeah, I, when you're because you should. There should be like a poll then.
0: Like, did yeah. you do it right? You know, like look back. I wish and, there like, was an authority on that. You, yeah.
2: You may spend five thousand yeah, on vacation. But you, like
0: you, you go, you, take you a car. You, you get a car. You get a car. Buy something, dude. You know your money's going nowhere. Go buy something. Where's that yeah. money
1: going? You know. Uh, I, I do say that sometimes,
2: <laughs> but. Is there, okay, okay, final thoughts, because we're, we're kind of running along here. Um, any other thing you want to say, or what message would you say to the 25 to 34-year-old millennial who is saying, okay, I'm listening to the podcast, I'm trying, I'm going to get on this train. All right, what, what advice, what motivation, what are you giving them? I would any say
1: things? Two, two things. So okay. the, 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 what I would tell the young millennial is don't be in such a rush to go out and buy a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. start simple take an inventory of where you're at and build the basics first once you have your cash reserve and your debt paid off then you could really start to save and accumulate assets and set yourself up on a a great long-term plan Mm -hmm. Uh, the second thing I would say that I think in investments the best way to make or give yourself the the best chance of making money is with time so um, whether that's monthly savings or accumulating assets don't um, be in a rush to make the quick buck, give it time. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, I've seen time and time again um, that that actually works out very well. So awesome. Yeah. Well, thank
0: you, Chris, for coming on. If anyone has any further questions for him, he runs a great firm, Lee and Quinley Wealth Management. You guys can Google it, or maybe mm-hmm. Jason will put it in the podcast notes at the end of the episode. Yep, we can make um, that happen. But we appreciate mm-hmm. your time. Thank you for coming yeah. on. You're welcome. Thank you for thank having you, me. Quillen. You guys
1: are doing a great job, and uh, keep up the great work. Thank all right. you, episode 18.
0: Thanks, guys.